Welcome to the Freelancer's Guide to Life and Business. This is Emily Leach, your host. This podcast is about real people running successful freelance businesses and living a full life. It's about sharing those actions and strategies that these people used to overcome challenges that could have stopped them in their tracks. It's about how you can pull from these lessons to navigate your own challenges and come out the other side quicker. Being stronger together means sharing our stories that are full of meaningful nuggets to help you get more out of your freelance business. So let's get on with the show. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, I'm crazy excited to dive in because you've been freelancing for a long time. Almost 22 years, believe it or not. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually tough to find people that have freelanced a long time. Like I've been in it 27 years, I think. Yeah. And I think I've only met a handful, two or three people that have been a couple longer than I have. So. Wow. And full time too. And not just, you know, oh, well, I went back to work. And I still freelanced on the side, but I've been doing it full time the entire time through. I agree. That's hard to find. And I can't say that. I have taken a couple of jobs here, there, and yonder, but they normally don't last more than four or five months. So is it really a job? <laughs> it was a sabbatical. There you go. I like that. I'm going to call, yeah, I took a sabbatical and it was a learning experience to go and you think you find your dream job. Right. This is going to be it. Especially when you're in those years before it was really accepted by society. And you probably got some of it too, you know, from parents. When are you going to get a real job? So I'd go find a real job. Right. And that worked out real well for me. Thank you. Yeah. Obviously, we were not meant for being in cubes or offices and working for other people. We are more geared to working with other people. Couldn't agree more. So that leads me to what was the thing, the moment, the catalyst, if you will, that kicked you off into freelancing? (laughs) Being brutally honest, I got fired. (laughs) I totally got fired, but I'm still not sure it was my fault. So long story short, (laughs) I was young and dumb, but I was working at my first ad agency job, right? And this was before the time of cell phones. And I was a writer and producer for this small ad agency. And one of the co-owners was not very kind at all. And I had to go to produce a TV commercial and I had to drive to this city that's, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes away. And I got stuck in rush hour traffic. I never go out that direction. So I had no idea what to expect. Thought I had given myself enough time, but obviously I didn't. And I was going to be about five minutes late. And I thought to myself, well, do I get off the highway and look for a payphone and be even later? Or do I just get my ass there, apologize profusely, you know, be five minutes late and get on with the job? So I chose the ladder and I get there and I was supposed to be leading the charge that day. And so I get there and the production crew's there and the client's there, they're all ready. And then they said, hey, this co-owner from the agency is on speakerphone waiting for you. And I was like, oh, you know, and so I go in and I take the call and in front of everybody, she starts ripping me a new one. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so unprofessional, you know, and I get that she's upset, but oh my word, right? So I pick up the phone so nobody else can hear. And I was like, listen, I'm really, really upset. You know, here's what happened. But hey, do you mind if we address this when I get back to the office? Because in the meantime, these people have already been waiting for me and I don't want to keep them any longer. And she's like, you're damn straight. We're going to talk about it when you get back to the office. And she slams down the phone. And I get back to the office and my job was gone. And at the time it was completely devastating because I didn't know that this actually happens quite a bit in advertising. (laughs) 
like people lose their jobs all the time, whether, you know, an agency loses an account and there's no more work for you to do, or, you know, last one in first one out kind of thing, or there's just so many egos in the business. So I kind of got launched into freelancing because I was in the middle of planning a wedding and building a house. And I honestly did not have time to work full time. It was almost a blessing in disguise. And I was still young. And so I had moved back in with my parents after college and my now ex-fiance, but my fiance had said, you know, Hey, listen, we'll make it work. Once we get settled into the house, you know, then you can go find a full-time job. Well, I had started freelancing in the meantime to help contribute so I could help pay the bills. Right. And long story short, we got married and got settled in and I was like, Hmm, I kind of like this. (laughs) I wonder if I can make a go of it. You know, the first year was really, really tough. But then I decided, you know what, I got to get serious about this. And I sat down and I wrote a business plan and I wrote a marketing plan and I set goals for myself and Uh off I went. That is kind of the key, right? When you make the decision to get serious about this. That was the key because I was like, all right, do I still look for a job full-time and freelance? Your energy and your time and your focus are split 50-50. And I wasn't successful on either side until I said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go do my own thing. And so I did. You know, yeah, absolutely. It's not a hobby. It's not an in-between thing anymore. This is going to be my career. How do I make that work? Yeah, I can relate to that even with the conference. So the first couple of years, it was definitely a side gig thing. It was something that was kind of fun and we just did it for people here in the Austin area. And then I was doing the Texas Friends Association and I was doing the conference and I was doing full-time website design clients. It wasn't possible to do them all well. Yeah. And we made the decision. I really felt like it was worth betting on mm-hmm. the conference. And so I let go of my clients. You know, Bobby was awesome to be able to support that and step down from the the nonprofit. So it was that moment of making the decision. This is, I'm all in. Yeah, I'm all in. And you know, it hasn't been easy. And, you know, just a few years after I got started, I actually got divorced from that guy. That was my starter marriage, right? That was Mr. Cortez. But anyway, I got divorced. And so I was like, well, great. You know, I was kind of relying on that second paycheck and his health insurance. Well, now what am I going to do? You know, when things are tough and what do I do about health insurance? So I had to get that all figured out. And, you know, and I tell people this to this day, like there is no shame in going to get a part-time job when you're still, you know, trying to make your way through this and figure things out. And I did, I went and I I went back to my old college job. I was a customer service manager for Office Depot, but Hey, I got a discount on office supplies, which was awesome. You know, huge perk. And I did that part-time just until I really could make it on my own. And I don't think there was any shame in that, um, you know, just doing what you have to do in order to achieve your dreams. So, yeah, I wish we could actually remove that somehow. It is sort of a stigma. It's like, well, you're not a successful freelancer if you're taking a part-time job or even a full-time job for that matter. There's times that happen in your life where that's what's important. You need to do whatever you need to do for your life and your family, your home. And if that's a part-time job or a full-time job for some period of time, and then maybe relaunch, move freelancing to the side because maybe you haven't learned enough business skills. Maybe you haven't learned enough something And there's something in your entire way you're operating that just isn't working. 
Right. You know, I think oftentimes, you know, when freelancers get started, they just don't know what they don't know. And so many of us get out there and we're like, hey, yeah, I can totally do this. I'm a great copywriter. I'm a great designer or whatever it is that they do. But if you don't know the business side of things, you're going to be shit out of luck, quite honestly. And how many of us went to school to study our niche and didn't take business classes because they either weren't required or we didn't think we would ever need them, yeah, right? I'm not going to be a business owner. I'm going to be an engineer. Exactly. I'm going to go work full time somewhere for somebody else. I'm not going to have to worry about it. And, you know, I think that's completely shifting today. I think so many more people want to be entrepreneurs and solopreneurs. And, you know, we see all the statistics about, you know, today more than a third of the workforce in the United States is self-employed. And by the year 2027, what, it's supposed to be more than 50%. People want to work for themselves. So I encourage all the young students that I can when I go and I speak to them, like, take business classes. I know you don't want to. I know they're scary, you know, but trust me, you're going to want that education someday. So get ahead of it now. You know? And I am hearing more universities, colleges, tech schools requiring at least a business school entrepreneurial class or something like that so yeah. that they have that option. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm glad to see things are changing now. Yeah. I mean, I love the fact that it's changing so much even in just society. Yeah. I, I, can go, great. I can go to an event and say, yeah, I'm a freelancer. And people know what that is. So many more people. That alone has been huge. They know what it is. And I think because of things that like what you're doing and what I'm doing here in Kansas City, it's getting rid of the stigma. You know, we're trying to elevate the brand of what a freelancer is and what the term means. You know, for so long, people are like, oh, freelancer means you can't find a job. You're just a hack, you know, you're in between jobs, but that's no longer the case. There's so many of us who want to be full-time freelance and we're rocking and rolling at it, you know? Yeah. Sometimes I really miss the days where that is the only thing I had was freelancing. Definitely had more time. Well, right. (laughs) (laughs) But I love what I'm doing now. So, you know, you just have to take the good with the bad and it is what it is. So I want to ask you about when you start a new project. How do you go about doing that? I mean, everybody has a little different process. Mm -hmm. And I love learning what the process is because I think there's nuggets in how each of us set ourselves up for when we get a new project for success. So you're talking about processes and systems, what I do personally? Well, when you get a new project and they said, yes, we're ready to go. Mm -hmm. Do you have one, two, three things that you specifically sit down and make sure that you do? Well, sure. Obviously, when you're onboarding a new client, you know, you have to go through the whole process of, okay, here's my estimate. Please sign my estimate. Here's my contract. Sign my contract, you know, and then also here's my request for a deposit. And and once you get all of those things in line, then you can sit down and, you know, every project's different. You know, do I sit down and do I write a creative brief or was the creative brief already provided for me? Do I need to do a lot of research? Is it just real gritty? Just get in there, you know, and figure it out. Every project's different. But I agree with you. You know, processes are so important. And what does that look like? Do you open up a new file folder on your desktop? Are you old school and do you you have, you know, a filing cabinet where you have to create a new file for a new client? Do you assign a job number, a project number? Do you have to put them in your project management system? Everything's different. Where's your time tracking go as well? So I think it's going to vary. And I know you're asking me personally, but I think for all freelancers, it's different, you know, just what their personal preferences are. I do like to have systems in place. So I know exactly what to do and when, and it runs like a well-oiled machine. So... Yeah. And the more we can get down what our process is, even though you said, and you're right, some of those processes are going to change depending on 
where you're at in the project. You know, are you taking on a clean slate project? Or are you taking on, you know, I always revert to web design is what I have the most experience in. Am I redesigning a website? Am I creating something from scratch? Those are going to have different things. So I love the fact that you went through. First thing I do is I make sure that they see an estimate and they sign off on it. Yes. They see a contract contract, and they sign off of it. And then they get that deposit invoice and they've made that deposit invoice. Mm-hmm. And then from there, do you personally kind of have a one or two thing that you always do once those three things are in place? Or is that where it really begins to just defer based on what the project is? That's where it starts to defer. And you know, it also depends on if it's a brand new client or somebody who I've worked with before, you know, because I may already have those file folders, you know, set up for them. They may already be in my project management system. So that's where things are really going to get different, you know, and again, it just depends on the project. You know, am I writing? Am I proofreading? Am I brainstorming? Am I concepting brand voice or something? You know, I'm a writer by trade. So there's a lot that goes into it, but yeah, everything's different. Every project, every client is different. So what's been your biggest challenge? Oh my gosh. I got to imagine having spent 22 (laughs) years freelancing full time, I'm sure you've had more than one. (laughs) Yes. But what was that big challenge that you look back and like, I made it through that. That's a loaded question. I do that. (laughs) I would have to say it's probably going to have to be one of two of my most difficult clients. You know, people who have been really, um, really difficult to work with. People who don't respect the industry, people who don't value the profession, people who look down upon the self-employed. And there was one time where I was like, screw it. I'm hanging up my hat. I am never doing this again because the way that person treated me was absolutely insane and nobody deserves to be treated that way. However, I made it through because I weighed the pros and cons, right? (laughs) But I had to remind myself that that was just one person. And I now know what red flags to look for in advance. It was really a good learning experience for me and what kind of boundaries that I need to set and the education that I need to provide to my clients as well. And if they overstep their boundaries, what happens? And that's one of the most powerful things I think for freelancers is that, you know, if we get into a situation like that, we can fire our clients just as much as they can fire us, you know? And so it's kind of empowering that you have that power to do so. Somebody's being a pain in the ass. Well, okay. So you can add on an extra hour, you know, to your invoice. Don't line item that, but you know, we call that the pain in the ass fee and you move on. Or if they're really that difficult, then you can just choose to never work with them again. And I've had to make that difficult decision, you know, a couple of times, look how much stronger I ended up in the end. Not only did I make it through and I learned all of that, but now I'm able to teach others those same lessons. So I love that you talked about the red flags. So can you share some of the ones that you always look out for? Because it can actually be a little tough in the beginning or your first few years to really identify this was a red flag, but this wasn't a red flag for this other person. Okay, so maybe that's not a red flag. How did you identify your red flags? You have to weigh everything too, depending on your relationship and who it is. So I would say, number one, if they don't sign your contract and if they don't give you a deposit up front, that's a huge red flag. To me, that means they're not serious about the project and they don't value you as as a professional. However, I will also say with a caveat that there are just some businesses that are not allowed to do that, you know, and so you have to look at it. Is it a large, well-known, trusted corporation or is it a startup business? And, you know, just kind of trust your gut on it. A startup basically is probably not going to have the money. And so they're kind of scared to do that. Right. And so they're probably 
going to be more likely the one who doesn't end up paying their bills in the end, or it takes forever to get paid. Whereas the larger corporation, you probably won't have any problems with. So yes, contracts and deposits, I would say it was a huge number one factor. Now there was one guy, this was hilarious, <laughs> years and years ago. Okay. So I was young. And again, I, this was a red flag that I should have caught, but at the time I was desperate for money going through my divorce. And I sat down with him at a coffee shop there was a one-man shop and talking to him and he's like, all right, I need you to write this letter for me, blah, blah, blah. But before he even launches into the project, he starts telling me this horror story about his son who's about to get married to this woman who the guy didn't like and the woman didn't want to take the family name and therefore, you know, he just wanted everybody out of the picture. Like, you're dead to me. You know, both of you are dead to me, you know, <laughs> because she wouldn't take the family name. And I was like, ooh, even then I was like, that's really freaking judgmental and controlling. And, you know, I get it, but why are you telling me this? You know? <laughs> and sure enough, lo and behold, I had trouble collecting payment from him in the end. He was just a real <laughs> hard to please fellow, real controlling. And, you know, fortunately I had my contract to go back on and I was like, Hey, so if you remember, this is what you signed and you know, you're legally obligated to pay me. And he's like, well, I don't know your situation, but I'm sure I'm in a much worse situation. I need that money more than you. And I was like, mm, yeah, you have no idea what I'm going through right now, but thanks buddy. Pay your bill. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Right. Um, it's funny how sometimes the individuals are like going, well, I need the money more than you. Like, wait a minute, you bought a service. Yes. The service was not dependent on your or my need at the end of it, but I've had the same situation before. Someone you know, said, my daughter is sick and she's in the hospital and I can't believe you're so, what was the word that she used? You're so insensitive. Uh, this is business. <laughs> and to be fair, your daughter was in the hospital when we started this. So it wasn't right. like it happened. Anyway, it was don't let people bring their personal baggage, whatever that is, well, into, into the situation and let them get away with it. Yeah, separation of personal and business. But, but I want to touch on a point that you brought up, and I think that's really essential for people to know, is that you're providing a service. Most of us are providing services and not products. And there's a huge difference there. You know, People think, oh, well, I'm not going to end up using what you provided for me, and therefore I don't have to pay for it. But that's not the way it works. We are providing a service. And I like to equate it to, you know, say you go to a new hairstylist or a new barber or somebody who, I don't know, maybe you were referred them and you go in there and you get your hair done, but you don't like it. So you ask them to change it while you're there, ask them to fix it. And they try as hard as they might, but you still don't like it. So okay, you may not go back to that hairstylist or barber. You may not refer them to any of your friends or family. But at the end of the day, when you walk out the door, you still pay your bill. And it's the same concept. It's the exact same concept. You still your pay your bill. I don't care if you end up using this or not. That's your prerogative. You know, hopefully the freelancer has done, they were proactive in advance and showed their portfolio samples and whatnot. So this person knew what they were getting into and the client, you know, did their homework as well. But business is business. Like it or not, you're buying a service. You're paying for my time, my skill, my expertise. You're not paying for an end-all be-all product. Excellent point, Emily. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Well, thanks for expounding on it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so what about routines? Do you have any routines that you like strictly follow to help keep you, you know, in that creative space as a writer? It's creativity is huge for you guys. Yeah. I think it's really important to be in tune with your body and with your rhythm and learn when you are most creative and most attentive. So for me, I am not a morning person whatsoever, right? So I don't do any difficult tasks. I don't do any 
meetings early in the morning. My sweet spot is late afternoon. That's really when I get the juices flowing. So that's really what I schedule everything around. I think it's super important to take care of yourself, get enough sleep, work out, and drink a lot of water, but make sure you implement that into your weekly schedule. And I think people forget that. But I do have, you know, a policy where I'm in the office, you know, or I have office hours, if you will, from nine to five. And I try not to be in here any later than I have to. Sometimes that's not always the case, right? You do what you have to do. But that's one of my strictest policies, you know, and I tell my clients, you know, just because I work from home doesn't mean that I'm available 24 seven. So please don't call me, you know, or don't expect anything after five o'clock, unless it's my fault, of course, and I'm running behind or there was uh, some discrepancy or whatever. But yeah, for the most part, I keep office hours, I try and stay healthy and active and just keep in touch with my rhythms. So I know when I'm on and when I'm best. Yeah. So like me, I try to shove everything I can into the morning and I love to have my afternoons open. And that's mm-hmm. when I do best if I can go for a hike or a ride, which Texas can be rough in the summer. Yeah. But you can do it in the winter and we can't here in Kansas City. It's too cold. <laughs> it's about 78 degrees outside right now. I know. I'm laughing because I'm in a sweater and it's like 30 something degrees here and you're in a tank shop. <laughs> I love this. Very happy. And it's November for the record. And, yeah. And for the record, it is November. Yes. yes. <laughs> so do you read a whole lot? A lot of solopreneurs really focus on a lot of reading time. Yeah. You know, I do more online reading than I do book reading, but there have been a few books that, you know, have been really, really helpful and beneficial for me. You know, one of which is The Freelancer's Bible by Sarah Horowitz that, you know, she's the founder of Freelancer's Union, one of which is the Graphic Artist Guild Pricing and Ethical Guidelines Handbook. That's super helpful. So, For me, I just try and eat, breathe, read, teach, speak, preach, all things freelance and anything that I can get my hands on. And then when it comes to online stuff, it's yes, it's in that realm. It's in the realm of creativity. It's in the realm of business and leadership. And it's just kind of all over that space, if you will. That's awesome. Is there a specific podcast or even a channel on online somewhere that you really, it's your go-to and you go check it out every week, every month or anything like that? You know, I really don't have a lot of time for podcasts, quite honestly, but I will say there are two that I do like when I get an opportunity. I like to go to Elise Bennon's Marketing Mentor. She's got a really good one. And then I also like Ed Gandia does one as well. He's out of Atlanta. And both of those are really, really good. Awesome. Yeah, I've met both of them. We had, Elise was at the conference, of course, just a few weeks ago. And I've been on Ed's podcast here about three years ago. Good. Good. Yeah, good. I oh, really like the, the clients from Hell one too. That's fantastic as well. And I know both oh, of us yeah. that too. Yeah, you're right. That is a good one. There's a lot of new ones out that I really want to go start checking out because I love the way people share stories. Yeah. The FreeCon one is going to be amazing, right? Because now we're going to be able to reach freelancers all over and share stories this way. I believe that these stories that make up our journey that we've done have so much meaning and impact for not only ourselves to kind of go back and relive a little bit of it, yeah, but to hopefully narrow or lessen that burden on the next group of peers that are coming up. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, and I love how there's, I don't want to say repeat offenders, but people who keep coming back to the conference, that sounded bad. You know what I mean? People who come back every year to the conference and then there's always a fresh crop of like fresh meat, right? You know, of new people who come. And so it's really neat to see people get inspired and to see people come back. And it's so wonderful what you're doing, Emily. Please keep it going. Please, please, please. And whatever we can do to help from here, please let me know. Thank you. You're welcome. How about tech tools? Do you use any special apps or tools that just really make sure freelance business runs smoother, more efficient? You know, everybody has different ideas of what they like and what they don't like, you know, when it comes to tracking your mileage or tracking taxes and expenses and social media and all that. I will say my favorites right now, I just got onto and.co, and.co, and I'm really liking them for time management and for invoicing and project management. That's been really good for me. And for social media scheduling, I got turned on to something that people probably, not a lot of people have heard of, but it's called Viral Tag. And I love it because not only can I have several accounts on there, but then I can also have all of those accounts and all of the different platforms, all of the different social media platforms. And it costs a little bit of money, but gosh, it makes my time so much easier to schedule things out in advance and not have to be doing it manually. And I think it's really important as freelancers that we don't forget to be engaged on social media. You know, it's not just set it and forget it, you know, but yes, set it, make sure you're putting out, you know, good content, but also getting in there and engaging. And so that's where I like to focus my time when I'm not scheduling, you know, can I just go scroll through for five, 10 minutes and, you know, go engage with people as well. But I think for me anyway, it has really helped boost my brand image and keep me top of mind. And anything that you can do in that arena you know, to help propel your business and elevate your, your reputation is just gold. Just gold. Yeah, I use later.com and I really like it. it. Sounds like we do it about the same. I just want to make sure there's stuff being put out there. It's all still curated. And so yeah. I can sit down maybe on a Sunday afternoon and sort of make sure there's stuff in each of my three main social media. And then that way, when I add something to it, that's me. Right. It's more personal. Yeah. Yeah. So that I am, like you said, interacting with it. And I actually enjoy going. I usually have an idea in my head of when they go out. You know, I've been doing it, you know, long enough now that I know things tend to go out on 10 o'clock on this and 10.45 over here, blah, blah, blah. But I love to be able to go in and just see, okay, who responded to what? Uh And then that's my opportunity to speak on Twitter. Twitter is kind of my favorite for some reason. I love to, you know, retweet and love and then comment back and forth. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Although I am enjoying LinkedIn a lot more. You know, I just went to a class on Monday. It was leveraging LinkedIn and they had like top 10 tips and I learned so much. I thought I was already doing LinkedIn well, but gosh, my, you know, my eyes are like wide open and, and I learned so much and remind me, I'll share that with you later. But for the most part, I use video. That was like the number one thing. Use video, 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 video. It's so sexy right now is the way the gal put it. And she even clued us into an app that you could use that when you record your videos, this will automatically put it into square format so you can share it on Instagram and anywhere else. It's a free iPhone app and it's called Square Edit. And I thought that was really cool. And the other thing she shared was quick.ico, but it's quick, Q-U-I-C-C.io. And when you upload your video, you can get like auto transcription. 
because you know not everybody has their sound on when they're watching the videos right so to have that closed captioning is really great the subtitles really cheap it's like a dollar a minute and i was like wow this is fantastic and that's going to help so many people that is awesome right I'll make sure that I pull those out and, and yeah. put them in the show notes. Yeah, great. I loved it. I loved it. So the one app that you talked about, the first one takes a recording and makes it square. Do you know, is there an Android version of that? I don't know. I haven't researched it just yet. Like I said, this was just the other day. So I wrote it down, but hopefully. Well, thanks for sharing. I will go look up to see if there's an Android, you know, me being an Android yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Apple girl. Through and through. Right. Apple. <laughs> Anti-Apple person. Ah, rude. <laughs> I shouldn't say that I'm anti. The way it flows doesn't work the way my brain works. Uh And none of them work for me. I mean, I can destroy an Apple phone faster than a child can destroy cake. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. And people are like, oh, no, you can't. Hand me yours. Uh, No. Let me show you. Let me show you. (laughs) That's funny. So... One of the things that I love to talk about in the freelance space, and again, especially with you, since you've been in it for so long, is what do you hear when you hear the phrase financial wellness? What do I hear? Or what does that mean to me? Yeah. <laughs> well, when it comes to freelancing, you know, we have to deal with this thing called episodic income, right? Where you never really know when your next paycheck is coming in. And sometimes it's really, really busy. And sometimes you got nothing going on. And so to me, financial wellness is getting to a point where when you're not busy, it's not a scary time. Like you've got savings that you can rely on, or you have other income streams that you can rely on. And I think that's a really important point is that Freelancers need to learn to diversify their income and not just rely on the one service that they offer. So yes, I'm a copywriter and I offer copywriting services, but what else can I offer? Can I productize my service? Can I teach? Can I write a book? Can I write a blog? You know, whatever the case may be, where else can I utilize those skills that I have to create income. And, you know, for me, that's just kind of been the icing on the cake and getting me to where I needed to be, where it was stable, you know, where I wasn't scared anymore. You know, maybe somebody goes out and they go work on site part-time for a client, you know, and that's their stability. That's what helps them be financially well. You know, just find what works for you, but, but be open to different strategies to ensure that you have that safety net. That's a good one. Be open to different strategies. And that's one of the reasons I like to ask the question because everyone has had such a diverse opinion and thought on it and what it means to them and how they're managing it. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think people look long-term either. I mean, so many freelancers that I'm around don't even think about their retirement. I'm like, you need to be thinking about your retirement. (laughs) You know, nobody's going to be saving for you. So you need to do it. And, you know, it's kind of a scary thing. There's no 401k or whatever to rely on. I mean, maybe you have a spouse or a partner where you can, but still, I mean, God forbid something happens to them or they, you know, you get divorced or something, you know, you kind of look out for number one and make sure that you're prepared for, you know, what may come in the future. And no, a lot of people are just planning to freelance all the way through. And personally, I love that idea, except for like you said, something could happen. Something could happen. So be prepared. Have that safety net, have savings saved up and yeah, be prepared for anything and everything that might come your way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been wonderful. You're welcome. 
welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Hopefully a nugget in this episode helps some of you out there. Until next time, make sure to subscribe to the show and thank you for listening. This program has been sponsored by Prudential. Prudential is helping Americans achieve financial wellness. Learn more about Prudential and find customized education and tools for independent workers at prudential.com slash independent worker.